Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. Hey, what's up, guys? It's Mike Lynch. What's going on? This is Rashad. This is the Sports Sunday Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. It is now brought to you on the fan by your local Les Schwab Tire Centers. Doing the right thing since 1952. Kick the tires and light the fires, Big Daddy. The matchups, the superstars, the games. Starting defense, replacing the table. Wow! This is Football Sunday on The Fan, a comprehensive look at today's National Football League action with your hosts, Mike Lynch and Rashad Taylor. You all know what you have to do. Remember, no one, and I mean no one, comes into our house and pushes us around. This is Football Sunday with Mike and Rashad on 1080 The Fan. Well, we have made the NFL playoffs. Here we go. We have achieved our goal of getting to the NFL playoffs, and uh, it kind of made today's show super easy to prepare for. <laughs> and this would be like the one week where there's just news aplenty all through the league, you know, when there's already stuff to talk about and we can't get to everything. There's weeks that we struggle like, oh, what do you want to talk about this week? We can talk about <laughs> Shady McCoy's turned ankle that he had, um, you know, we struggle at certain points. And now there's like things that we can't fit into the show that kind of sucks yeah well i mean the good thing we've got an entire playoff with less games happening in the future that we can get stuff in that's true uh it's just it was super easy i came in today and i opened up my little sheet of notes and i wrote down yesterday's games and i started putting a couple of notes about yesterday's games and then i went oh there's two games today one of them starts during our show so we got to do that in the nine o'clock hour before the game starts so that's bills jags at 10 so okay i'll put that in oh yeah and the national championship game is tomorrow we got to talk about that so i put that in the notes and then uh, we have hit or love it and i was like man we have nothing else to, no other space yeah so we're gonna we're gonna fit the patriots drama stuff in as well in the 10 o'clock hour but our show was just like hey here you go on a platter for you. Here's all the stuff to talk about. Well, there we go. Make it, make it easy for us then. Well, we are going to make it easy for us, and uh, we're going to dive right in. Normally, we kind of banter a little bit, but there's a lot of stuff to get to today, and we want to make sure we get to it all. So make sure you text us at the fan text line at 55305. You can also find us on Twitter at 1080thefan at MikeLynch27 is me. Rashad's at TaylorMade503, and Jesse, our producer, is at Jesse Osman, A-S-Z-M-A-N. Uh, let's just, you know what? Let's just dive right in because there's no, there's no point in waiting. I want to start with the Titans and the chiefs game from last night, which I thought was going to be dreadful. It started off being dreadful, started off bad and turned into a great game, especially for those of us who are Marcus Mariota fans. And, uh, I guess I'll start there. My, my expectation was a big chiefs blowout. I saw the spread. It was like chiefs by seven or eight and, in my head, I'm, I didn't want to pick a big spread or anything like that, but I just thought the Chiefs were going to blow them out because, A, experience. They've been there before. Uh, they've lost in the playoffs before and, and blown leads uh, like they did a couple of years ago against the Colts. But they've been in the playoffs before. You've got Andy Reid, who's had a lot of experience there, going up against a Titans team who is very young, inexperienced in the playoffs as a head coach who was on the hot seat in the playoffs. And Mike Malarkey, and you're like, okay, I could see Kansas City, especially at home, winning this game by like five touchdowns and just blowing them out. Absolutely. And in the first half, that's what it looked like. Chiefs were rolling. Travis Kelsey was big. Kareem Hunt was getting the ball. Marcus Mariota threw a really bad interception in his second drive. And you were just thinking, well, this is it. 
This is our uh, this is this is our issue right now, and this is going to be a blowout. And we got to the second half, and all of a sudden, everything changed, and the Titans came back to win the game. Yeah, it was it was it was pretty bizarre. <clears throat> Excuse me. There was a part during that game. And I'm sitting there watching with my guys. I'm like, yeah, I think we should turn the channel. It's okay. 21-3. I turned it off it, at halftime. It doesn't look like they're coming back right now. Like, they're just playing like crap. Like, this this rush defense that's been pretty good, you know, throughout the year was just – it just looked so JV all of a sudden. And you saw that Mariota was trying to get drives going. I think everybody, especially if you were a Mariota fan, not necessarily a Duck fan, but you were a big fan of Marcus Mariota and what he was able to do, I think everybody was watching that game like, okay, this is the drive where he makes things happen. Here it goes, and here we go. And it looked like they drive down the field, and then they had to settle for the three points that one time when it looked like they finally might be able to, to punch one in. And it looked bleak. It looked real bleak at a point. And then they came out in the second half, and I'm looking at the stat sheet right now, and Mariota has one reception for six yards and a touchdown from one Marcus Mariota. And I thought that was the play in the game that was kind of like, okay, well, well, maybe, maybe this could happen. And, you know, they'll, they'll score once, score again, and, you know, we'll see. And once that happened, you kind of saw some confidence uh, kind of rise from the team, and, and they played like it. And I, I'm not sure what – what the hell is wrong with Kansas City? Like, they they tend to do this. Like, they'll think they have the lead, and they'll go on to the half with the lead, feeling great, and then come back and blow it because it's they all, all, of sudden, all of a sudden they get real conservative. Now let's stop doing what got us the lead and throwing the ball and getting the ball to our impact players, and now let's just start running it a lot. They didn't, so, though. They didn't. Go look at the numbers. Uh, Hunt? Didn't even run the ball 15 times yesterday. He had 11 carries after yeah. having a after having a great first so, a three well, score lead. Well, what yeah. happened? What? Well, I mean, literally, Andy Reid just literally botched it. That is the situation where you do let Hunt like because Kansas City's best when Hunt's doing his thing and they can set up the play action. Look at those first couple drives that they had because it was it was like oh they had a, a brilliant brilliant play action to Hunt that set up um, I believe it was Kelsey. Um, for that that yeah, uh, inside the the five yard line, uh, and then they ran that in, um, and that was brilliant because it's just like don't outthink the room, just let Hunt run it in because you should be able to do it. They did that, and they scored another touchdown, and it, it got to the point in there in the second half because I went out to a bar to watch it. I was like, gluten okay, free well, bar. Uh, huh? A gluten free bar, right? Uh, it, well, they have a gluten free beer. Okay. Okay. And so, and it it was not good, and I did not enjoy it. So I had one pint, and it got to the halftime, and I was like, I'm not going to stay here for another pint. I don't enjoy to watch a game that I think is going to be a blowout. And lo and behold, it it turned around. But it was very much like, well, why did you change your game script from? From first well, half to second and, half. And, th and this was basically their season. Their entire season was predicated on what Kareem Hunt did. They started the year 4-0. Kareem Hunt was amazing. Was amazing. Rookie of the year. In the in the first four games. Week one, he only had one carry, and then he fumbled the ball. I remember that, and he kind of just got he got taken out of the game after that. But was explosive the next three games. Then they lost six of their next seven games. In those games, Kareem Hunt didn't surpass 87 yards rushing and only once had more than 20 carries and three times had less than 10 carries. So they lose when Kareem Hunt doesn't touch the football. Then they won their last five games. Kareem Hunt touched the ball 17-plus times in almost all of those games. He surpassed 100 yards in almost all of those games, averaged about six yards a carry in those games, and was dominant. 
So what do you do when you get to the playoffs against a team who doesn't have that good of a defense? Ah, we're just going to stop running the ball with our workhorse back. You know, our tight end, our best receiver just got hurt and concussed and is out for the rest of the game. No, we're not going to go to our second best player. We're going to have Alex Smith throw to Albert Wilson. And, and our, they're going to continue to go to the tight end, which is their, you know, bread and butter, clearly. And, you know, there's a lot of the game, like, you know, Hill just could not hold on to the ball. I think he had like three or four drops during the game, which was which was really, you know, that was one of the things that didn't work in Kansas City's, you know, favor. But at the same time, they were still up 21-3. Like, go keep up until you get to the fourth quarter, middle of the fourth quarter, man, keep doing what you what got you to the dance. And at this point, what got you that 21-3 lead is continuing to kind of spread the ball out, have a nice little balanced attack, and then when you think everybody's paying attention to what Travis Kelsey's doing, boom, here's Kareem Hunt. This was a, clearly a case of, man, Mike McLarkey just out-coaching Andy Reid. That's it, just what happened. I mean, I didn't think we, we would say that, but I just think he just out-coached Andy Reid. That's just one of the most ridiculous things. I think he got lucky to be out-coached because it's – because to be honest, I think if this is uh, any other week, because you think about it, Mike Bullarkey's been forcing the DeMarco Murray situation all year. Do you think that was going to change this week if DeMarco Murray doesn't have a torn AC, uh, MCL? Nope. Nope. DeMarco Murray would have been out there sucking it up, and Derrick Henry would have been riding the pine for two-thirds of the snaps. And and you know what? Tennessee would have lost that game. Absolutely. Derrick Henry, Derrick Henry lucky. had a, a bit of a – of a coming out party. You know, there's, there's probably not a lot of people that watch Tennessee football, unless you're an Oregon fan or unless you're a Titans fan. Like that's, those are, those are the, the two, two, you know, fans types of fans that end up watching Marcus Mario. And Derek Henry, when he's been given carries this year has done this before where he's actually had explosive breakout long runs. plays like the, the, he, in the second half, I think he averaged like over eight yards a carry. I and mean, a lot of know? that was due to his long touchdown run. Those always skew the numbers, but still, even with the long touchdown run, he had, uh, if you took it out, he had 120 yards. Yeah, but there was a couple runs in there of like nine, 10 yards, you know, big. I know he had the one big 22-yard gain at a point. Like, Derrick Henry showed that, and he's a hell of a running back. And if you're DeMarco Murray, like, I mean, you want to do you want to hurry back and maybe take some momentum from this young dude? No, I mean, because he clearly too, wants to be out there. He's though. too hurt, though. I mean, he has a grade three torn, torn MCL. Like, that's not. That's not something that I'm talking in terms it. of the next season. And oh, kind of no, because I, I, like that. I would see this as being it because they've tried to give Derrick Henry the, the lead back role this year a little bit. And when he's been given it, he's kind of flustered, been flustered. He's had some games where he's had three carries for negative three yards and he just kind of he wasn't taking advantage of his opportunity. And then this was his, his chance. Nobody else was going to run the ball but him. And, uh, and he took that chance. Coming up next, I want to get into what Marcus Mariota did do. You guys said it was Derek, or we had a Texas that it was Derek Henry, not Marcus Mariota that won the game. But uh, I think it was Marcus Mariota that won the game in many, many ways. Derek Henry helped. But without Mariota, you're not winning that football game. Without Derek Henry, you still might win that football game with how bad the Chiefs folded. That's next. Plus, Falcons-Rams discussion. This is Football Sunday on The Fan. Sunday with Mike and Rashad on 1080 The Fan. Welcome back into Football Sunday, 916 on your Sunday morning. Text line is 55305. The Twitters at Mike Lynch27 at TaylorMade503 and at Jesse Osman. A-S-Z-M-A-N. Do you know I spell his last name every time you're not here? Just to make sure. Like I'm pretty sure if you listen to the show, you know Jesse's Twitter, but I spell it just because you do. Well, because it's a unique last name. 
It's a little different. You just got to make sure you spell it out. So and it's know. not like the other, like Osmond, like Donnie and Marie. No, but nope. yeah, but uh, Marie refuses to take my last name because of that. Oh no, she's gonna take it. <laughs> or do you, are you gonna take hers? Uh, no. So what, the fact that you just uh, uh, like she, that's, well, we've yeah, been talking yes, about yes. the idea of the hyphenated last name. Ah, she she could handle that, but okay. Hey. But it would be a weird hyphenated last name, Osmond Swanberg. Yep, that'd, that'd be a weird one. That'd be a weird one. <laughs> yeah. Hey, you do you, do you boo-boo. You right. do whatever makes you happy. Um, we're talking about the games from last night, uh, starting with the Titans and the Chiefs. Just talked a lot about the Chiefs kind of letting the game dribble down their leg and talked a little bit about Derrick Henry. But really, and I disagree with the text that said Derrick Henry, not Marcus Mariota, won the game. Mariota won the game. That was clearly Mariota. Mariota threw a touchdown pass. That got deflected, and he caught it himself and scored it, and dived and look and and made it look sexy when he did it. You know he didn't what I'm really saying? need to dive, but yeah, he he dove to make it look sexy because who was it? I think Eric Decker was actually open in the corner of the end zone when he was rolling out to the left on that play, and the defender tipped it, and he just went, "Hey, I can catch this now," and he did, and he scored the touchdown. So that that there was play A of him making an impact, but the real impact play was his block on the final Derrick Henry run that helped them seal the game. There was there was third and ten. Or third and nine, and there was a minute and 45 left. And if they did not get that first down, the Chiefs were going to get the ball down by one with over a minute and a half left just to go down and kick a field goal with their kicker and Harrison Butner, or whatever his name was, uh, who's been really good this year, who probably would have hit the field goal. Mm -hmm. And Mariota on the little zone read play followed Derrick Henry's route on the run and blocked number 51, whatever linebacker that was, Great five ball. yards down the field and gave Henry all that room that he needed to get the first down that wound up winning the game. It's the same kind of play last week when they needed to win to get in against the Jags on third and eight. Yep. He ran the football, stiff-armed stiff the Jags cornerback, uh, completely got it, got it himself and sealed the game himself. But let's not forget about in his run in the fourth quarter where he needed, it was fourth or third and eight. And uh, and they needed to go for it, and they needed to get that first down. If otherwise, they'd have to punt. And he took off running, and he one defender tried to hit him, and it just bounced off of Mariota on the sideline, and he kept it going for about fifteen or sixteen yards. Like it's plays like that that had him drafted number two overall. It's just you know? I don't I don't want to be overly glowing because he also almost lost them the game in the first half. That first interception was a horrible play. Some people blame the route concepts because they said the two receivers were too close to each other, but Mariota cannot make that throw. He can't. Um, and Not in double coverage. No, and at times during the first half, he rushed the throw. He The second he felt a little bit of pressure, he missed the pass. There was one I remember to Corey Davis. I want to say it was on the first drive. And Corey Davis wide open on like a little slant out towards the sideline. He threw it behind his head and didn't time it right. And, and it, that was partially on Davis not looking in time, but partially on a bad Mariota throw. So in the first half, he was really bad. And yeah. we've seen him be really bad this year, which has been disappointing. But we've seen it. And that's where we've had the discussions about him and, and Jameis Winston both regressing this year and not reaching their potential that we thought they would by year three in their, in their NFL career. But I also think there's, you know, with that as a quarterback, it's not 100% on you. Like, there are some plays that Mariota made uh, that 
should have been plays by some of his teammates. Eric Decker dropped a couple of really easy ones that would go for first downs, and who know might have put them in position to at least get a field goal or something moving you know moving forward in the game. There, there was some some bad plays by some by some teammates in between there. So Mariota did what he was supposed to do in the second half, and I think that's the important part to remember is that a game isn't won in, in a quarter. And I think a lot of us looked at that game by halftime and said, 21-3, this game is over. Marcus Mariota won that game. Derrick Henry had two really big runs, like you, that you mentioned, that kind of looked like he had uh, about eight yards of carry, somewhere around there. But he had a couple of really big plays in between there. But Marcus Mariota, we can't forget about the the absolute just bullet that he gave to Eric Decker. Who finally um, caught the ball. Who finally caught the ball, but gave it to him in as he was covered. And and it was a beautiful pass, you know, threaded the needle. And it's plays like that that you look at Mariota and go, okay, yeah, this this guy is the real deal, especially when he has time like that to throw. It just worries me because they, they were talking about they were going to fire Mike Malarkey if they lost this game. They make the playoffs. They lose the first game, and they were talking about firing their head coach. Now, I was actually excited about that because watching the Titans this year, the offense they run is absolutely brutal, and it does not fit the talent on the team and it does not fit Marcus Mariota's skill set. It doesn't. Mm. And he's going to be fired. They try. Maybe not now. No. Yeah. There's there should be still. I mean, it's still a brutal offense and yeah. you're still holding your quarterback back. I agree. It, it's but a, it's really hard to fire a coach when he is what third year now as your coach brings you back to the playoffs and you beat the team you're supposed to lose to by a touchdown in a huge comeback fashion it's just but it's it's all you can also make the argument like look how bad the AFC is where you get a Buffalo Bills team back like pedaling their way into the playoffs after like trading away their number one wide receiver trading for another wide receiver starting Nathan Peterman like all these things that they did and still backed their way into the like it's it almost seems like anybody, if they really wanted to in the AFC, could have made the playoffs Man, this year. I'm looking at the Jacksonville Jaguars uh, warm-up for the, the playoffs. Now, mind you, we've been saying for years, this is the year that Jacksonville has that turnaround. They've drafted enough number one. And number finally two the year guys. we didn't say that they made the playoffs. And finally the year that we were all just kind of gave up <laughs> right? on it. You know what I'm saying? They, they, they all of a sudden got cold. So this is a year to where you, when you look at these playoff teams playing, you're like, wait, what? The Bills, the Titans, the Jaguars, the what? Like, who's in the playoffs? I like it though. I like that there's different teams because I, I, I'm always been a, fan, I've always wait, been the, a fan of parody. the Eagles. Wait, what? Like, hold on, who? Well, especially now without Carson Wentz too, man. Yeah, it's it's just one of those. Falcons things, got like, a little lucky. They're gonna, you know, what to go play Nick Foles. We've become so used to seeing. Um, the Seahawks and, you know, Pittsburgh and uh, the Colts and all, you know, kind of these uh, really traditional teams, you know, being in the playoffs. And now when we look around and you see it's, you know, it's New Orleans and Carolina and like well, the Rams. Like, what? Like, these are the teams that are in the playoffs this but year? But they were great teams this year. Some they, of them. No, they were. They were this year. But I'm, I'm talking as far as, like, over the past, like, let's say, decade it's been man the seahawks and the the broncos and obviously the patriots and pittsburgh and those have been the teams that we're used to seeing and now to look around and see some of those teams represented but like i said looking at man, the rams and the uh the, the, the panthers and the titans what like these are the teams are in the playoffs so it's kind of tight though i do have one final question about this game before we switch to the other one from yesterday it's about andy reed Andy Reid is well-regarded as a great football coach, great head football coach, right? He he brings teams to the playoffs all the time. Is Andy Reid's legacy going to be that he, in the big moments, Fs it up? Is that his legacy? 
whether it's time management or timeout management or whatever on earth that play calling was yesterday. Is that is is this going to be Andy Reid's legacy? I think it's going to be a huge talking point. I think it's going to be one of those things that you point at is like, yeah, but yeah, Andy Reid was a great coach. He was like a quarterback, you know, guru. He was able to work with, yeah, but he just he just didn't know how to manage games and he didn't know how to manage time. And it's always, even back in Philadelphia, it's just one of those things that always cost Andy Reid uh, games and and time. Just even look back at the Super Bowl that he had against the Patriots, just not having enough timeouts in the end after Donovan McNabb and the team was really driving downfield, you know, not being able to have the time to really finish that game off and everything. So I think that's going to be a part of his legacy. You're not going to be able to tell Andy Reid's story without telling that part. I think. I, th- I think he's going to be thought of as one of the most bipolar coaches as far as winning, losing, play calling, game management. Like, I one of my worst calls this year, I like, I just, I've thought about this so many times and, and like, just been like, can't believe I said this on air was Andy, Andy Reed was elite. And I remember saying that after like week three or week four and cream hunt was going insane and they just were looking so good. And I was like, he's finally got all the pieces and look at, and then, and then literally like I, I said that and then all of a sudden he goes away from the running game. He doesn't do the play action. He falls in love with, you know, Alex Smith. He pulls uh, an Andy Reid. Yeah, he pulled an Andy Reid. He went we went bipolar and he went depressed on every he made everybody depressed. He made Kansas City fan depressed. And all of a sudden he's like, hey, you know what? I'm in a good mood now. I'm gonna run the ball again and we're gonna do this and we're gonna do play action and we're gonna look good again. And all of a sudden Alex Smith is throwing for 300 yards and three touchdowns again. And then he's like, Well, no, I don't want to run the ball again. It's just the most bipolar coach I've ever seen where you're like, you're like, no, he's good. No, wait a minute, no, he's He's not. Maybe it's all part know. of his master I think plan. he tries a lot to do like trick with the Belichick, other team. what Belichick does and try to change. No, seriously, and try to change week to week and change as far as what teams are, you know, are, are able to do or looks you're able to see. I think that's what he tries to do a lot of the time, you know, just because it, it, that's the only thing that makes sense to me is because why go away from what your offense is? But honestly, I don't know if he knows what his offense is all the way. I think he knows uh, he has a set of offensive plays. Let's run those. And I don't think he really has, like, an identity like that. Because even look back at Philadelphia. I mean, he was lucky enough to have a, a Donovan McNabb that knows how to how to make some things happen. And then eventually you're lucky enough to get a Terrell Owens who just knows, you know, how to make. Don't forget about Freddie Mitchell. I did forget about That's Freddie Mitchell. That's a joke. Yeah, you should forget about Fred, the Fred X because he was terrible. <laughs> he was trash, you know. Did so. he have a touchdown in the Super Bowl, though? Like, like some Mitchell? crazy acrobatic touchdown, like – where he was doing like this weird 360 twist over the I don't goal line. About like, he had Ooh, a big you play in the that Super reminds Bowl. Reminds me, of, it might be him. Yeah, I, I think he had one big, huge play in the Super Bowl. Bland, you're forgetting about another key player on that team. Uh, and I'm not, I'm not being sarcastic. Brian uh, Westbrook. Brian Westbrook. Mm-hmm. I was asking. Yeah. He was really good. Was yeah, absolutely. So there were a lot of good guys. Uh, Brian Dawkins, you know, played yep. for that play for that great team. So Andy Reid has had a lot of great players, and now I'm just looking around, and you have a still, you still have a really good roster. Um, what are you able to do with that? And I just think it might be time for a change in culture for um, for Kansas City. Well, we will see what happens next year there. It'll probably be very similar as it has been the last few years. All right, coming up next, let's get to the other game from yesterday, the Falcons and the Rams. The underdog won, and it was fairly convincing too. We'll discuss next, but first, Jesse has SportsCenter.
Football Sunday with Mike and Rashad on 1080 The Fan. First playoff game of the day is Bills Jags starts in a half hour. Bills Jags is the first playoff game of today. It just sounds like a practical joke on CBS. Yeah, it's funny, but I'm actually really excited for this game. Just oh, it's going to be. And here's the cold part: it's going to be a good game. I, think. I, I hope. And people, people were like, "Oh, Bills Jags! I don't want to watch this." And I, I'm over here going, "Why not?" I don't think enough people have watched the Bills. The number one, Tyrod Taylor is good. You know, I don't care what anybody says. I know you kind of said that you think he'd be great for your Broncos, you know, offense and, and everything. I think Tyrod Taylor is really talented, especially considering some of what he has to work with offensively. Um, outside of Shady McCoy, uh, now they have uh, who is it? Uh, who's the receiver? There? Kelvin, Kelvin Benjamin, Benjamin, you know, there. So you at least have. Uh, or had kind of a target to, to kind of throw to and everything. But I'm looking at this defense, and they've always been about that action, boss. And so I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see what this game looks like today. Yeah, we'll get to that coming up next segment because that game starts at 10, so we want to preview it before it starts. But I do want to get to the other game from yesterday, which was uh, the Falcons and the Rams. Now, the Rams were favored. They were at home. They were the better team during the regular season. But at least to me, the experience factors seem to play out in this game with the Falcons getting the win over the Rams. You had a really, really solid game. I mean, frankly, from both teams, there wasn't much ugly football. There was a little bit of bad luck for the Rams. They had the drop touchdown pass that would have made it a one-score game near the end of the fourth quarter by uh, Higby, the tight end. It kind of popped out of his hands when he hit the ground in the end zone. Uh, but Jared Goff had a couple of nice touchdown passes, including the one, or he had the nice touchdown pass, including the Higby one. Uh, the one to Cooper Cup over his shoulder in the end zone was a nice one. Uh, Todd Gurley had a really solid game, but they just couldn't get it done when they needed to. And Goff was just too inconsistent during the game. He only completed just over 50% of his passes. 24 for 45 is not going to win a playoff game against a really good team who just made the Super Bowl last year. As For comparison, Matt Ryan only missed nine passes, 21 for 30. Um, but really, to me, this was all about the experience factor. The, going into this game, I, I, I was all in on the Rams. I've talked about it for a couple of weeks now. I'm, I was in love with this team. I wanted to see the Rams do, do well. I wanted to see them succeed. I like that they have a 31-year-old head coach who's this good. I like Todd Gurley. I like Jared Goff being good this year. I like their receiving core. But even with all that, even with all the hopes I had for them winning, I just didn't trust them against the team that had been there last year. And the Falcons, despite how bad the Falcons have been on offense this season with Steve Sarkeesian, it just hasn't looked the same. I figured once they got into the playoffs – at least some of that would change. And look, their offense still looked a little bit iffy at times, uh, but it was more solid than the Rams' offense was. Well, I mean, you you see what a a guy like Kyle Shanahan can can do for your for your offense. You know, just ask Jimmy Garoppolo. And now that he's not there in Atlanta, you can see how much of a different offense this is. But I thought, I mean, I thought Jared Goff played really well. For his first playoff game, he didn't throw an interception against a defense that's pretty good. But I just look at it as a, Atlanta just had too much. The Rams have some really good pieces in place. That's for sure. But this is one of those instances where everybody in Atlanta that was supposed to show up just kind of did. You know, Devontae Freeman had a you know okay-ish game. And Tevin Coleman had an okay-ish game. Not, you know, not great. Not at all. You know, but Matt Ryan, again, 21 for 30. Uh, you, you saw Julio Jones really... 
be Julio Jones for and the first time. And he fought through what looked like an ankle or foot injury or something. And it seems like he's always quarter. fighting through an ankle or foot or something like that over the past couple of years. Even last year in the Super Bowl, that was something that he kind of kind of struggled with. And he had an amazing game uh, that Muhammad Sanu, you know, came to play. So I just think they had too much in Atlanta offensively, and I don't know if the Rams were ready to deal with it. Well, and turnovers killed the Rams, too. They lost two fumbles, including the one on the, the kick return early in the game when they were down 6 nothing. Um that, that that was big too, and I I didn't watch the entire game, but a lot of it I saw Matt Ryan slipping on the on the on the field. Yeah, on the turf, it was kind of weird. Like mul- like four or five times I saw it happen, but I didn't see it happen to Goff. Did you guys see it happen to Goff, or was it just a case of Ryan wasn't used to the field in L.A. and, and slipped a couple of times? I don't, I don't I didn't see Goff fall. Me neither. That's, that's fall. all I was asking. I I don't know. No, I just lots of incompletions. See, that's like, I mean, when you have a guy, I think Gurley toted the ball for 14 times for 108 yards off the top of my head, I think is 101. Yeah. 101. Okay. 14 times, 101 yards. That's a great average. Great average. Well, and you got a quarterback passing the ball 45 times. I think his completions were around 21, 23 in that. So, you're, That's what's hard when you're down that that early in a game against a team that you has still got to be true to what you are and what's got you where you are, and that is Todd Gurley. That's just and that's that's a a first year head coach in the playoffs, rookie rookie head coach in the playoffs, basically a rookie QB kind of. I mean, I'm still going to call him a rookie QB after one year with Jeff Fisher. That was, you know, but it was a red shirt. It, it was a red shirt, exactly. <laughs> um, you got to be true to who you are. And that, I think that's where the the old timers, the guys like Wade Phillips and stuff, these these guys that um, he he surrounded himself with to to give him the advice in these times of need, should have come up and been like, "Hey, man, just stay true to what got us here." And that's Todd Gurley. You need to run the crap out of him. Todd Gurley needed twenty five touches in that game yesterday. Well, they did try to get him that combined because he had ten targets in the passing game, but only had four catches. So. I did see the, the, the Falcons the, blew the screen game up, game up repeatedly. They were ready for the Todd Gurley screen plays, and they completely stopped it multiple times. The fact that he only had 10 yards receiving on those types of plays uh, shows you just how good it is because, really, Gurley's been great at running the ball, but what's been so explosive about the offense has been passing to Todd Gurley. They've found ways to find him open in the passing game where he's had a lot of long plays, some of them for touchdowns throughout the season. So stopping him in the passing game was almost more important than stopping him in the running game because you knew he was going to get his yards running the ball. And then we've mentioned it all year, but Sammy Watkins had one catch again. Sammy Watkins only had four targets. You're going to target Robert Woods 14 times, Cooper Cup 13 times, and Sammy Watkins four? I guess give some credit to the Falcons' defense, but it's weird where your number one, although Robert Woods has been their number one this year, can't get more than one catch in a playoff game. It's weird. Uh, say goodbye yeah, to Sammy Watkins. What... Say goodbye to him. I, I don't think he's staying with the the Rams. Oh no, I don't think he's staying with the Rams either. This is just it's been it's been a trend. You know, it, it'd be different if this were a one two time thing, and then the next week they went to him five times, like or you know seven times for for four for four catches. This has been a trend since he's been in Los Angeles. I just don't think that since he's been fits. in the NFL. <laughs> yeah, I think since I think he became really untrustworthy and and in Buffalo just because he was always dealing with an injury and when he was there he was I want to say he's kind of a diva I'll just be real I just don't think there's any room for the diva receiver anymore I just don't know if there's I mean that I think that dude I mean really unless you're unless you're putting up Odell Beckham type of uh, production I don't know if there's room for that dude anymore 
It's it's so weird because the few times he was healthy in Buffalo, he he did look like a true possible like top five receiver in the league when he was healthy in Buffalo, which was so few and far between. He finally gets a year where he's healthy. He was healthy all year. He looked good. Like he did look spry. He looked fast. Like there was times I remember watching him last year where I was like, that guy's running around on a blown out tire. Like he looked bad this year. Looked spry. Looked good. Bad team, bad fit. Yeah. Like you're in a team that wanted to run the ball, do the screen plays, do little crossing routes, drag routes, and you didn't want to throw to him down downfield. It it just didn't fit. So it's like I feel bad for him in the fact that he's dealing with injuries and then he finally isn't dealing with injuries and he's just in a place that doesn't fit anymore. It's I'm just looking at his game log now. It's interesting to see just how bad it was because we talked about it a lot this year, but he only cracked 100 yards receiving once this year. He only cracked four catches once this year. And that was in the same. What was the tar- like? How many times did he he top six targets? Uh, a handful. A handful. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, and those were probably when Robert Woods was hurt. Three catches, two catches, three catches, three catches, four catches, three catches, two one three one zero one six two five. And in the end, now this is the one thing that he did show. Like he's good around the end zone. Like w- when you look at what he was, like especially down the stretch. But he had eight touchdowns this year. Yep, he did good in that respect. But because they did look for him around the end zone when they got in close, but they just they did not want to use him as a deep threat, and it's it wasn't a good fit for him. It's just it's one of those. One of those weird situations with them, with with Watkins, and but I, I think the Rams have such a bright future. I know they lost Absolutely. this game. I know this wasn't supposed to be a loss for them, but you know you get a little bit unlucky playing a team like the Falcons in the first round. Hell, if the Seahawks made it, I, I would have felt well, the same way. The Seahawks probably would have won that game too. But it's it's a little bit unlucky to get that matchup in your, in, as a sixth seed when you're when you're that high seeded. But moving forward, if Goff can keep improving, which there shouldn't be any reason why not, especially with a good coach like McVay. If you keep Gurley and he stays healthy, I, I could see him in the playoffs, winning the NFC West every year for a couple of years. Yeah, and, and this is, mind you, this is really, like you said, year two of the golf experiment and everything. And, it's, and so far, it worked out really well this year. Todd Gurley is a star, and you know that now. And you've got a couple receivers that look like they're only going to get better. If, if Robert, Wood, Robert Woods plays anything next year like he did this year, then you've got yourself a hell of a receiving core kind of moving forward. So your defense is already looking like they've moved in the right direction under Wade Phillips. Like everything is pointing in the right direction for you. You made the playoffs in your first real effort together. So, I mean, yes, if you're a Rams fan, congratulations to you because it looks like it's going to be some some success words over the next few years. All right, we got a break coming up next. Let's preview the game that's starting in 15 minutes. That is Bills and Jags. This is Football Sunday on the Fan. Sunday with Mike and Rashad on 1080 The Fan. Nine forty-five here on your Sunday morning. Football Sunday leading you till eleven o'clock today. Coming up in about ten minutes on CBS, the first wild card game of the afternoon. It will be the Bills against the Jacksonville Jaguars, and it is a matchup that on paper. Looks ugly because it's two teams over the last few years who have been ugly. But Jags are really good this year. Their defense is the best in the NFL. They have a good running game. They have a quarterback who's interesting to watch. 
<laughs> sometimes good, sometimes horrific. And the Bills have kind of a similar thing with their quarterback. He's interesting to watch. He's a little better than, than Blake Bortles and Tyrod Taylor, but he's also a little bit less explosive of a player. They've got a defense, which has always been solid, and uh, they've got a great running back who hopefully will be healthy enough to play for them in LaShawn McCoy. He is playing but hopefully healthy enough to actually make an impact in LaShawn McCoy. So on paper, it doesn't look bad, but when you actually think about it, I think this game has the chance to be really, really fascinating. I really do. I could see it being a defensive battle. I could see it being a high-scoring game. There's all sorts of different ways this game could go based on the seasons of both the Jags and the Bills. Well, first off, just one of the Jaguars have played a great season. They've had an awesome season this year. Should be noted that they've had a, you know, one of the last place uh, strength of schedule type of, you know, schedule they played this year. But you can't help who's on your schedule. You just got to go out there and play. And they went out there and they won all the games they were supposed to win for the most part. So shout out to the Jaguars. The Bills, uh, the, we thought the Bills were tanking. Remember that? And they put Peterman in. Through five yeah. picks and a half. Yeah, do you remember, like, was was it? I'm talking about week one, or when they traded everybody away, and they're like, oh, yeah, Patriots, you can have Gilmore, and everybody's like, whoa, what? You can have who? Like, they just, you know, start giving player, players away to everybody, and people were kind of like, okay, well, the Bills are clearly trying to get the first pick in the draft at this point, and then I'll be damned if they're not playing in the AFC wildcard this week. So both teams, I think we're both looking at them, and I think that's why it was kind of funny, because you look at these teams and go, <laughs> These are the teams that are in the playoffs. But then you start looking at some of the numbers, and, man, the Jaguars have the best defense in football. Let's just be real. Like, at this point, which defense in the playoffs scares you more than the, than the Jacksonville Jaguars? None. The Jags' defense is insane. The Jags, That's what I'm saying. The Jags have drafted, for the most part, exceptionally well on the defensive side of the ball with all their high draft picks recently. Getting Jalen Ramsey this year uh, as a lockdown corner has worked out. Signing A.J. Bouye, who with the Texans was not locked down, but no. was solid and has come in and turned into an, an elite cornerback with Jacksonville. And I mean, even, even a guy like Paul Pislesny, who has been there for so long, also on the bills, by the way, first, uh, that was his first team, but has been there for so long. has been a solid linebacker on such a bad team. He's a good player. I, and they've, they've got a great defensive line, too. And remember, they traded for uh, the Bills' Marcel Darius in the middle of this year as well. So they've got even more talent there from Buffalo. Yeah. Um, their defense is really, really, really good. Now, they've had some weak games this year, especially the, the game against the Niners where Garoppolo just shredded them for 44 points. So that was a little bit of a concern of a kind of a step back of, whoa, what just happened to the best defense? But then they come back and all, all that they lost only give up 15 points to the Titans the following week. So they are the best defense by far. So, so I mean, good. you're looking at that and saying, okay, th this is the team that can really, they can scare you on that. They can their, their defense can win a game for them, you know, which is something that we've seen a lot of playoff teams, a lot of Super Bowl teams win Super Bowls based off their defense. Your Denver Broncos probably probably in the last team to, to really be able to do that. But we've seen the Baltimore Ravens go in there and win a couple Super Bowls based off of a defense. We've seen the Tampa Bay Buccaneers go in there and win a Super Bowl based off of defense. So what's to say that this <laughs> that this Jacksonville team can't do the same? I know. I, I forgot half their good players, too. I'm just looking at the depth chart. Clays Campbell is there this year. He's been awesome. they got Miles Jack. They've got Telvin Smith, at linebacker, alongside Poslozny. This defense is dirty. It's so good. There's so many strong players in this defense and I remember I was hearing a clip from I want to say it was Darren Woodson on ESPN where he basically said I could see the Jags going far 
because because of their defense. Because Bortles this year has proven that he could play well enough to win with how good the defense has been. And if that can continue, then the Jags' elite defense could push them at least a couple of rounds. And that doesn't mean they're going to make the Super Bowl or anything. But at least they could win a game or two before they get knocked out due to how strong their defense is. And in in this... In this day and age in the NFL, where at least in the NFC this season, it feels like all of the top teams have great offenses. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Vikings may be excluded from this because their defense is also really good, um, but they have a good offense. But you know the, the Eagles were so good this year with their offense. Their defense played well, but their offense was their strong suit. Same with the Rams, same with the Saints, same with the Falcons, same with the Panthers. They all have good defenses, but their offense is what carried them into a lot of these into the playoffs. The Jags really can't say that. And that's what interests me in watching this game is to see in this year of football, which has been very offensive predicated, how this good of a defense will do. Well, and I, I think that's going to be what, what we're going to see uh, this afternoon is really how good this defense is. Now, mind you, the, 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 the offense in Buffalo isn't great. Actually, most things in Buffalo aren't great. The one thing Buffalo does really well is I think they're top, top 10 and takeaways. So when it comes to interceptions, I think they're sixth in the NFL. And LaShawn McCoy is really good, too. And Shady McCoy is still Shady McCoy. You but know, he's, he's He's one of the few running backs, actually, that's – I don't want to how, – how long has Shady been in the league now for, what, eight years, you know? And, yeah, and still really able to be a big force. Usually you see guys kind of take a back seat, you know, after year five if they're not great. Yeah, Alvin Kamara is great this year. What's he going to look like in three years? You know what I mean? So I think, I think that's one of the – that's a nice little feather in the cap for Shady McCoy that he could be this good for this long. And really that offense runs on how good Shady McCoy is playing. Now, I think he's he's active today, right? He he's is active. Play. He said he will play if he's able to cut because it was an ankle injury he suffered in Week 17, which is just last week. It, it seemed pretty serious. It kept him out of the rest of the Week 17 game, which was a must win for them. Um, but he's playing, but I'm a little bit worried about his impact if he's playing hurt because – his nickname is Shady for a reason. He is the best when he's able to juke and move around all, all over the place and cut outside and then r- run all the way across the field again. That's when LaShawn McCoy seems to be at his best. He used to be criticized for that, dancing around too much. So if he can't do that, then I don't know if he's going to have that much of an impact outside of being a decoy almost, a guy who can be a threat but might not be because of the injury. And if that's the case then I think it's going to be a long day for Buffalo because that they need McCoy to play well and be healthy for their offense to click. Absolutely they do. You know, he again, he's the most important person on this offense. You know, with their their run game opens things up for their play action, which is really kind of where um Tyrod Taylor thrives a lot of the time. You know, he can throw downfield, but a lot of times he gets, you know, gets to let Shady kind of do his own thing. And now we're going to see exactly if they're going to be able to find somebody that can be a, a kind of a spark plug for this offense. You know, will will it be Kelvin Benjamin? You know, I, I mean, will, will it be uh, Charles Clay? Maybe. You know, like it, I think that's the thing you're looking at right now because you're sure it won't be Shady McCoy. He's I don't think he's going to have the big game everybody thinks he could have just because I think he's that's still a struggle for him. It happened in week 17. What was what last week? So being able to cut is probably still a big issue. I think the adrenaline will make it okay for the first quarter or so. After a little bit, after a break on the sideline, I don't know how how effective Shady's gonna be. This game's gonna be fully determined, in my opinion, by turnovers. 
whichever team can limit the amount of turnovers they, they have on offense will win the game. I know that sounds like such a simple thing to say, but Tyrod Taylor, surprisingly, only four interceptions this year. Has not had a bad year in terms of his touchdown-interception ratio. Uh, Bortles has thrown 13. Both defenses are good at forcing turnovers, so that's going to be the key tonight in this game, or this morning in this game, is who can protect the ball the best. I think the biggest misconception about Tyrod Taylor is that he turns over the ball. Like One of his biggest strengths, actually, as a quarterback is that he actually takes care of his ball and has throughout his entire career as a starter in the NFL. He's just like it. He's not the most consistent quarterback behind center is all. Because he has to, he has to move to be accurate, yes. it feels. He can't just stand in the pocket and throw yes. the ball. Uh, just saw this, by the way, come across the Twitterverse. We talked about it, and uh, it's it's not happening. Mike Malarkey will be the head coach in 2018 of the Tennessee Titans. Ooh. The controlling owner of the Titans came out and said that he will be staying as the head coach next year. So get ready for another year of bad offense for Marcus Mario and everybody. <laughs> It's really depressing. I kind of I kind of wanted to see him get fired just to get a good young off. I want to see Sean McVay with Marcus Mariota. That's what I want. That's what I want to see. I mean, that, that would be nice. Maybe they maybe they go a different direction, get a new offensive coordinator. You know, maybe maybe that's the direction they go, and that helps Marcus Mariota. Maybe Malarkey's good in the locker room and is good at firing the team up, and maybe he's just not the best X's and O's, but he's a good kind of, for lack of a better term, CEO kind of coach, like they're calling Herm Edwards, which, oh, my God, has been such a disaster so far. <laughs> hey, we're going to bring Herm Edwards in and keep all the coordinators. Oh, wait, the coordinators left. All right, Herm, good luck. <laughs> Uh, all right. Coming up next hour, we have our hate it, hate it or Love It, which is coming up at uh, 1030. We will also talk about the other game that is going on today, the NFC South matchup between the Saints and the Panthers. We've got the Patriots debacle to get to, and also the National Championship game is tomorrow. So we got to get to all that. We'll see how much of it we can fit in. That's next here on Football Sunday on The Fan. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.